Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Okay, as you know, it's usually Theology Monday. Last week, we started a series called Most Misused. We did uh, Psalm 37 for delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and what that verse actually means. And what we found through our studying and analysis is that it means something so much better than this kind of narcissistic interpretation of God is a genie who's going to give me what I want as long as I act like I'm happy in him. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. We're going to do more like Philippians 4.13, Matthew 7.1, the verses that are used so much but are decontextualized and applied to a definition that they just don't mean. So I want to take a break though from that today because I think it might get a little bit old if I do that every single week. If you've got uh, verses that you want me to cover, some of you have already sent me some, uh, feel free to send them my way. Uh, Okay, today what we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about the hearing that I... Uh, that I was a part of last week in Washington, D.C. in front of the Committee of Oversight and Reform. And we are going to dive into what all that was about. And I'm going to give you some analysis that I wasn't able to give when I was there and talk about why this matters. Some of you were able to watch it on C-SPAN. Some of you were able to watch it online. Some of you maybe have seen some of the clips online. And I want to play some of those for you if you are unable to catch them and just kind of tell you what was going on at the time and give you further analysis. So as you can tell, this is not Theology Monday. We're actually just taking a break for a little bit from Theology Monday, although, of course, I always kind of bring it back to the biblical perspective, and it's very easy to do on abortion. So let me tell you how all of this happened. Obviously, I have never testified before Congress, and I hadn't really thought that that was a, you know, a possibility. It's not really, I wouldn't say it was really on my bucket list. I just didn't think that I would ever be given that opportunity or couldn't really see a reason why I would be asked to testify. But I did get a call uh, from the House Committee's office saying, hey, would you be interested in this? Are you available? It's not finalized. So I talked to them just about my position on, uh, on abortion. Obviously, I've been very outspoken about being pro-life on this podcast and elsewhere, public speaking, all of that good stuff. And so I just kind of explained my views about that and they uh, asked my availability, whatever. Long story short is I was chosen to be the witness and because Democrats are the majority in the committee, they have four witnesses and Republicans have one witness. So I was the one witness and there were four others. Two of them were over some kind of so-called reproductive health organizations. One woman had an abortion because her child, the doctors told her, had a fetal anomaly. And then one was actually an abortionist at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, Missouri. And that was the legislation that we were focusing on. The legislation we were supposed to be focusing on was the Missouri, uh, the Missouri legislation that has made it very difficult for abortion clinics to be there. Abortion clinics have shut down across the state. There's only one abortion clinic left, praise God, in St. Louis, and that is the abortion clinic that this abortionist 
serves in. There was so, there was so much, there was so much misinformation coming from that side that you might be asking, Allie, how did you contain yourself the whole time? I've gotten a ton of messages from those of you who watched it saying, I just wanted to shake that. I just wanted to grab their shoulders and shake them and say, what are you saying? Or you wanted to yell at them. I know, I know. But guys, I prayed. I prayed and prayed for uh, the Holy Spirit to give me the peace that passes understanding, to give me calm, to help me not get frazzled or agitated or angry, but to say what I need to say, to speak the truth in love and to allow God to be glorified. I didn't want this to be about the things that I said, but what uh, God's truth actually is. And I asked you guys, please pray. I asked my family, I asked my friends, I asked people in my church, I said, please pray for this situation. And I felt the power of your prayers. I really did. I felt the Holy Spirit be there and and give me that peace that surpasses understanding. And so when I was listening to them try to obscure the reality of abortion, when I was listening to them give misinformation about Missouri legislation, yes, of course, internally, I was like, you guys operate on deceit. That's all you guys do is you gaslight, you use euphemisms, you manipulate people. And if your position were so righteous, you would be able to speak clearly and accurately about all of these things, but you're not. So inside, yes, I'm thinking about all these things, but uh, I, I felt okay. I felt confident in my position as nervous as I was before I went in there because guys, I, I, I still, I, I guess I look back and I'm like, why, why was I asked? Like, why was I called? I, I don't bring, and we'll talk about this as Democrats brought up. I don't bring any special qualifications to the table. I don't have a medical history. I don't have any kind of scientific degree or background. I'm not the head of so-called reproductive organizations, although I certainly don't think that that makes you an expert. And I haven't been in this exact situation. And so there were times where I I questioned, I was like, I'm not qualified. Why? I'm not competent to do this. I shouldn't do this. But I had to just accept the fact that God is sovereign, that he is in control. And if this opportunity has been presented to me, then there has to be a reason for it. And the reason, uh, which is the ultimate reason when God uses Christians always, is that God is glorified. And if he chooses me a seemingly unqualified vessel for this particular moment, then I'm going to be obedient and do it and just pray that truth is spoken and that God gets the glory for all of it. That's the only thing that we can really hope for and pray in situations that we are scared about. And so I just prayed. I meditated on scripture, Psalm 25, Psalm 27, Psalm 37, which we went over last week. First uh, Peter 2, for whatever reason, it's not really in the same exact vein as the, uh, as the other chapters, but just gave me, it gave me peace. It gave me strength. It gave me calm. And even when I was nervous beforehand, I had to remember, this is not about me. This is not about my testimony. This is not about what I bring to the table. Because as I've already said, I don't bring a lot to the table. All I can do is trust God, trust his purposes, trust his plan, and trust that he is going to glorify himself because that is what he always sets out to do through us. And I should just be thankful. So one lesson that I learned is that it is possible to be 
in God's will, to be uh, following him, doing what the Holy Spirit wants us to do and still feel fearful and nervous. I think a lot of times we think that our feelings have to match the rightness of the situation in order for things to be correct, but that's not always true. We can be obedient in our nervousness, in our anxiety and in our fear. And that is something that I learned. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit for giving me the strength to do that. And for all of the congressmen and congresswomen in there who spoke the truth about life inside the womb, I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit was there, even in such a in, in such uh, a depressing, honestly, hearing. That's kind of how I walked away from it a little bit, but I'll talk about that in a more nuanced way in, in, in a second. So we get there and I'm so nervous, but as soon as I sit down, there were a few things just tangibly that kind of calmed my nerves. For whatever reason, the room being smaller than I thought that it was going to be calmed my nerves. There weren't as many Congress people there as I thought there would be. That kind of calmed my nerves. And then when I heard the other testimonies, honestly, and I'm not trying to be rude, but when I heard the other witnesses speak, and I realized, okay, the arguments that these people have, which apparently, according to the Democrats in this committee, are the best possible uh, defenders of abortion and abortion uh, legislation that they have or, you know, legislation that allows abortion that they have. And they're making the same exact arguments that I hear Twitter trolls and Facebook commenters make on a daily basis. So it's not that... They have any more sophisticated arguments than anyone else. I mean, the arguments that you see on a daily basis as pro-lifers that you look at and you're like, okay, that's insane. That's completely inane. That doesn't make any sense. That's totally illogical. They totally obscure the existence of a child. They pretend that she's not there or they try to paint abortion as something that only happens in extreme circumstances in which the mom just has to terribly and so sadly and tragically get an abortion. We know that's not true. 99% of abortions are just elective because they don't want a child. They can't afford a child or something like that. So they'll simultaneously use a witness that makes it seem like abortion only happens in these tragic circumstances, but also at the same time say, well, a woman should be able to get an abortion for absolutely any reason whatsoever. So as I'm hearing their arguments and Honestly, the two ladies who were who were nice, I'm sure they're very nice people. And, and meanwhile, the two ladies on either side of me who talked about uh, their organizations, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know, honestly, what they were talking about. I, I don't when they say things like gender justice and gender equity. That's what I'm saying when I say that people on the pro-abortion side <laughs> that they just use these vague social justice intersectional terms that don't actually have any real meaning. They're not attached to reality at all. So when I'm hearing all of this, I'm like, okay, it's I, I'm good. I'm good. I know what I need to do. And what I need to do is to shed light on one thing, and that is the existence of the child inside the womb, because that's what they so desperately do not want to talk about. And I need to talk about what an abortion actually is, because as you will see in one of the clips that I'm going to show you in a couple of the clips, they don't want to talk about that. That's the one thing they don't want to talk about. And they will accuse you knowing better. They will accuse you of lying. If you say, hey, 
Uh, a D&E abortion, a dilation and extraction abortion empties the uterus of amniotic fluid or it actually dries it of, uh, with amniotic fluid with something called Actually, I don't even know how to pronounce it, the things that they put in there. It's basically kind of like seaweed that they put inside your uterus and it takes all the amniotic fluid out. And then once the baby basically starves to death because babies inside the womb are feeding off of amniotic fluid the entire time that they're in the womb, they um, start picking the, they take forceps and they stick it inside the woman's cervix, inside the uterus, and they start uh, tearing the child apart limb by limb. Uh, that is how... A late-term abortion is often performed. There are other very grotesque methods as well. You also know Kermit Gosnell, that uh, he, that was the terrible case that came out in 2010, but it's been, we've been talking about it recently because there was a movie that came out. Uh, he was uh, put into prison. He was charged for, for murdering multiple infants because they were born alive. They were born alive. And it wasn't just three infants, even though he's just charged for that. It was much more than that. An FBI raided his house in 2010 and found baby parts throughout his home. The guy was a, he was a psychopath. He would snip the spinal cords of living babies in the birth canal that would kill them. So any of you who have had birth, we're talking six to eight pound baby, fully alive, has all of the instincts that any other baby has. So as they're coming out, they're already instinctively trying to attach themselves to their mother. They're trying, they're about to take their first breath. They're trying to scream. Um, he snips the back of their neck, hopes that they die quickly and discards them like medical waste or like the freak that he is, decide to stow body parts somewhere in, uh, somewhere in his house. There was a story uh, just a few weeks ago of the of the abortionist in Illinois, I believe it was, where the police came to his house and found baby parts all over his home. I mean, this is not just a one-off situation. Abortion is grotesque. It is grotesque. It is brutal. It is barbaric. Last night, after all of this happened, well, last night as I'm recording this, but it was really last Thursday night, uh, when I was think when I was thinking about this, I literally woke up in the middle of the night and was like, oh my gosh, we're debating whether or not we should kill a child, kill a child brutally. But this is what Democrats do not want to talk about. I'm going to play you my opening statement uh, in case you hadn't heard it yet. You may have seen it on social media, but I just want to make sure that you want to, that you get to hear it here in case you haven't. If you want to fast forward through it, if you've already heard it, you can do that too. Allie Stuckey. I'd like to thank Chairwoman Maloney and Ranking Member Jordan and the rest of the committee uh, for the opportunity to appear before the committee today. Uh, my name is Ali Stuckey. I am an author, a podcast host, a commentator, a wife, and a mom. I've spent the last few years studying the pro-abortion movement, uh, observing the growing radicalism of the abortion agenda, and speaking out about the injustice occurring on the state and federal levels against preborn children and their mothers. Um, I am here today as a mom fighting for a future for her kids in which rights are not dependent on whether a person is wanted, but upon their humanity. I am here as a woman who believes that female empowerment, equality, and freedom are not defined by her ability to terminate the life of her child. I'm here as an American afraid for the fate of a country that no longer considers the right to life a prerequisite to liberty or the pursuit of happiness. I'm here as a human being 
horrified by the violence, the oppression, and the marginalization of a defenseless people group based solely on where they reside, in the womb. It's surreal to be here, and not because I'm testifying before Congress, but because of the subject at hand. It is incomprehensible to me that we are having a debate over whether or not it is acceptable to kill a baby before they're born. And while we discuss Democrats' concerns about abortion restrictions today, I want to remind the Committee of the True Victims of Radical Legislation, and that is preborn babies. There was a time, perhaps, when we could claim ignorance as our justification for allowing and approving of abortion. Only a few decades ago, we knew relatively little about preborn babies in early stages of development. It seemed appropriate to some to deem abortion a privacy issue or an issue of bodily autonomy. And even then, the motto was safe, legal, and rare. Pro-abortion advocates have abandoned these three qualifications in favor of on-demand through all nine months for any reason. Barbaric laws like those of New York, Illinois, and a bill in Virginia aim to codify what Roe and its companion cases allow, the virtually unrestricted access to abortion until the point of birth. As its defendant's position on abortion has radicalized, science and technology have advanced. We now know that a baby's heart begins to beat as early as six weeks. The child can feel pain as early as 20 weeks, only halfway through the pregnancy. Babies born as early as 21 weeks gestation have survived outside of the womb. By 24 weeks, still only in the second trimester, a fetus has a significant probability of surviving if born premature. Babies at this age have also received life-saving procedures to treat diseases like spina bifida. Any woman who has been pregnant or has seen her child on an ultrasound knows the undeniable humanity of their preborn babies. Even as someone who is pro-life, I was shocked to see uh, my daughter in the womb at just 11 and a half weeks, uh, kicking, punching, uh, flipping around. 11 and a half weeks is still the first trimester. Embryology tells us that at the moment of conception onward, a baby is a living human being with a distinct DNA, and yet the abortion advocates have doubled down on their dehumanizing rhetoric and legislative efforts, remarkably, many members of the so-called party of science insist upon referring to preborn children as no more than clumps of cells. And speaking of abortion, its defenders ignore the existence of the child entirely. Terms like reproductive freedom or bodily autonomy, women's empowerment, are used as euphemisms to obscure the reality that the life inside the mom's body is a human, a baby, her baby. If abortion were truly a winning issue for women, if it were, as an article in New York Magazine recently argued, a moral good, this kind of deception wouldn't be necessary. But abortion advocates know that using accurate terminology to describe abortion is an effective PR, and therefore it doesn't make for a profitable business model. Uh, Late-term abortions are typically performed, of course, by emptying the uterus of amniotic fluid, then dismembering the baby with forceps. There are other cases of more uh, grotesque methods utilized, like with Kermit Gosnell. Uh, Witnesses before Congress have testified to the neglect of babies who survive abortions, many of whom are reportedly left to die alone. Uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam declared earlier this year that a baby who survives an abortion would be delivered, kept comfortable, and resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. While tragic, pro-lifers shouldn't be surprised by pro-choice radicalism. Uh, This is the end of the logic of the pro-abortion case. There is no logical argument for abortion that doesn't also apply to people who are born. America is included on a list of only seven countries, including China and North Korea, to allow abortion after 20 weeks gestation. 
Uh, the same legislators who are pro-abortion were happy to vote yes on a bill criminalizing animal cruelty on the federal level. And while I'm thankful for this, I only wish the same basic compassion could be extended to the most vulnerable members of our own species. Thank you. So thankfully, I was given the opportunity to say that. There were so many other things that I wanted to say. I couldn't explain Kermit Gosnell the way that I wanted to. There was another story I wanted to tell of an abortionist who said that he inserts, there's a certain kind of poison that in late-term abortions, they can insert uh, through the woman into the baby's heart to stop the heart from beating. And then the baby softens as the baby dies in the womb. And then they're able to induce labor. So the woman gives birth to a baby. And he compared what the dead baby feels like when the baby is coming out of the womb as meat in a crock pot. So I wanted to say all of that. I wanted to talk about just how awful and graphic uh, abortion actually is. I didn't get the chance to do that because I only had five minutes. That's another reason I was talking so quickly is because I had a little timer in front of me that has lights on it, tells you, okay, like you need to wrap up. And so I was, as I was reading, I was skipping chunks of my testimony, knowing that I wanted to finish where I wanted to finish. I didn't want to finish in this awkward spot. So that was a little bit stressful, trying to make sure that the next sentence was going to make make sense with the last sentence and jumping around on my page while also watching the time. But I got to say most of, most of, of what I, what I wanted to say. And uh, they completely, they completely ignore the, of course, uh, everything that I have to say. And they talk about this uh, particular, they talk about this particular piece of legislation in Missouri, and they go off on that for a certain period of time where they say that a Murray, uh, Missouri and the legislation there against abortion is so draconian. That bothered me because if there's anything draconian, it's tearing a child apart inside the womb. Um, but they were saying this is so terrible, it's so bad for women. And then they talk about this particular scenario of Missouri women having to undergo pelvic exams before they get an abortion. There was an old Missouri state law that said that you have to get a pelvic exam before you get an abortion. I'm not totally sure what the purpose was. I guess it was in some way to protect the woman, just to make sure that everything was fine in there, which kind of makes sense to me. But these women acted like it was so sad. The abortion provider said, I don't know who cried more, me or the woman, because I had to give them a pelvic exam. It was so invasive. I didn't want them to take their clothes off. I'm like, but you're okay with killing a child inside the womb. Talk about invasive. Talk about sad, killing a child inside the womb. That's what I was thinking the entire time these people were talking about anything other than abortion and calling something unjust or abusive or invasive or draconian. I'm like, oh, you mean like abortion, right? So they talked about that. And then they talked about, and this is what I want to refute because I didn't have time to refute it because they didn't come to me to talk about this. But they talk about... Uh, the state of Missouri, the health department in Missouri, tracking periods, tracking women's menstrual cycles. And they talked about both the people in Congress and the witnesses were saying that this happened in Missouri, that this was just an abuse of power. They use the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, uh, in, they used the induced termination of pregnancy form that is used to uncover botched abortions and injured women at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. And they are the exact same vital records data that the CDC, the Center uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Guttmacher Institute, 
The Guttmacher Institute is a research arm of Planned Parenthood. They're the same vital records uh, data that these organizations use in their statistical and other reports on abortions in Missouri and the United States. No individual patient names are used or reported in these, they're called ITOP forms, induced termination of pregnancy forms. And so they're trying to act like this was just this random thing that Missouri officials did. No, that's not true at all. And guess what? By using these forms, uh, the health and safety regulators used uh, this data to discover a case of a woman injured by an abortion at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. This is what I wanted to bring up. This abortion provider who oversees the Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, uh, officials were able to use these forms to discover a case of a woman injured by an abortion at her clinic. A, quote, failed abortion that DHSS says was not reported by Planned Parenthood in violation of Missouri law. It's kind of amazing, actually, that none of the Congress people brought this up yesterday. I'm surprised by this. And I wish I had brought it up, but there's just a lot going on and a lot was going on in my head. So the abortion doctor sitting right there. The reason why these were, why menstrual cycles were tracked by uh, DHSS in Missouri was to uncover botched abortions, which had already happened at her clinic. And the methods that they were using to uncover that are the same methods that the Guttmacher Institute, like I said, a part of Planned Parenthood and the CDC uses. And yet Congress and these witnesses talked about that over and over again. And I really, I really wanted to, I really wanted to bring that up and I didn't really get a chance to. It's so hard when it's moving quickly and they ask you a certain question and you want to address that. There's a million points that I wish I had made, that I wish I could have made. Thankfully, the the staff that invited me and uh, some of the this pro-life staffers there, they helped me so much and they really prepped me. And so if you're listening to this, Thank you to all of you who helps me and gathered all the information for me. But I wanted to make sure that I said that. So there were a few other highlights, I would say, in all of this. And some of them were just so hard. They're almost harder to look back on than they were in the moment because I knew I had to remain calm. But now I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, that makes me so mad. So there were two congresswomen, Miss Kelly and Miss Lawrence, who decided that they were just going to go in on me, that they thought that they had great arguments. So let me show you the exchange, a bit of it, between Congresswoman Kelly and me. Mrs. Stuckey, you said you want to see the same basic compassion. You made that comment. Well, I wanted to see the same basic compassion for maternal mortality. I had to water down the bill I had because the compassionate Republicans, not one, would sign on to the bill to extend Medicaid. Uh, we have not been able to get a gun violence prevention bill passed because we don't have the same basic compassion once the unborn fetus becomes a baby and they grow up. We don't seem to have compassion in that area. We don't have the same compassion when it comes to feeding our young people. We don't seem to care about that. We're looking at cutting back so 500,000 people don't have the food they had. So where is the p compassion once you're born? I, I, that's the question 
I have. Well, Ms. Kelly, thank you so much for bringing up these points because I agree that we should have compassion uh, from the womb to the tomb. That's what I believe. I don't necessarily I don't necessarily agree with all of your legislative solutions to that. I do believe the private sector does a much better job. But your premise is that these things are mutually exclusive, that we either have to be on your side of the debate and no. we're violently murdering children no, you, inside you the never womb. Heard me. Or we're not. No, I'm just so saying late. like you're, you're saying exclusive. we're violently murdering, but there's a lot of True. kids being murdered every day. And, why can't and we, we don't do about anything both? about that. Why can't I'm we reclaiming my both? time, reclaiming my time. So as you can see, she presents this false argument that we so often see from the left that you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth. And unless you believe in big government, unless you believe in Second Amendment regulations, unless you believe that we need to redistribute wealth to all of these ineffective and inefficient programs to help people, to so-called help people, then you aren't really pro-life. Well, first of all, we have a problem with most of your legislation because we don't think it's good legislation. Uh, secondly, why can't we care about both? See, I'm I'm the, I'm the only one, not saying I'm really the only one, but I'm the only one on the panel, pro-lifers are the only ones who care about both, that we care about the baby inside the womb and we care about kids outside of the womb. We might not agree on the solutions, but we both agree, I guess, that we should have compassion for them. But she plays this game that so often the pro-abortion side does that it's either or, that these things are mutually exclusive. Why can't we do both? Well, she wanted to reclaim her time. She didn't want to hear any of that. And that's exactly, that's the tactic. And I decided my, my brother actually got to come with me, which was really great having his support there. And I was so thankful for that. But we decided that in the future, just like in real life, if someone's talking to us and we don't want to hear what they have to say anymore. We're just going to say in real life, I reclaim my time. I reclaim my time. So Miss Lawrence also, I'll play you a little bit of our exchange. She uh, decided that she was going to put words in my mouth and she was going to claim that I said things that I didn't say. And she was going to do this uh, game of gaslighting. So gaslighting is when you accuse some someone of something that you yourself are guilty of. So she accuses me of pseudoscience and gener generalities, which is just great. So here's that. This hearing should be a substantive discussion on how to expand access to care for women. I'm disappointed that my Republican colleagues are using this hearing to make such blatantly false claims. Um, the, the young lady who speaks in generalization, and for the record, while one side calls themselves pro-life, there's not a person I know that say they're pro-abortion, they're pro-choice. So abortions are not in fantasy. That is not how abortion works. And this type of deceptive rhetoric is yet another attempt to distract from efforts to make abortion out of the reach for women to shut down clinics. And I, I just constantly have had this debate a number of times on this panel. The, the mistruths that are spoken about um, ripping full-size babies out of wounds and killing them, that is not true. Selling of parts is not true. And it just seems like it's enjoyed to say because it paints this horrific picture. And we should talk, say the truth. 
Um, if anyone is speaking in specifics, I was the only witness that spoke in specifics, as you can probably guess. Uh, none, none of the other witnesses would tell you what an abortion actually is. I want to play you another exchange, which was actually probably my favorite part. There were so many good, uh, so many good parts. Oh, I want to play you another clip too. <laughs> there are a lot of clips that I want to play you just because if you weren't there, I want to make sure that you see these. There are so many good parts of this, but this was one of my favorite things that uh, Congressman Massey from Kentucky, he had an exchange with the abortion provider and really tried to push her for answers and she wouldn't give it. You know, it's medicine is not black and white. I, I recognize in my 10 years of practice uh, informs this, this opinion that pregnancy can be really complicated. And given that there are pregnancies for which a fetus may never be viable, I think it's really important that we allow physicians and patients to have every medical resource in, to make decisions that are appropriate for them and their health. In the absence of a law preventing it, would you abort a viable fetus? Um, again, I, every patient is different, and I can't make any... I'm just asking about a viable fetus. If the law didn't prevent it would, it, would you consider it a limitation morally for you to abort a viable fetus? So I think you're forgetting that there are a number of reasons that if go into reason, patient's choice. I thought you, uh, at your clinic, does it matter what the reason is for the abortion? At my clinic, I trust that women have a valid reason. Every reason that they have is valid. Okay, so given that you think that every reason is valid, would you abort a viable fetus if there was not a law preventing it? Again, given that the reality for people choosing abortion is that there are many reasons, there isn't a single thing that defines somebody's choice. It is you a reflection a of hard their- time. You seem to have a hard time saying this. This tells me you have a heart. Or at least you know that people watching this have a heart, and they would be concerned if you would just admit, which you won't admit here, that you would abort a viable fetus for any reason if the law did not prevent it. Mr. Massey, uh, abortion is moral. It is important. It is health care. And I support people being the experts in their own lives and making decisions for themselves. It, it gives me some some hope that you here understand that people do not support you when you abort, when you say, or if you would say that you would abort a viable fetus for any reason, but given what you told us in your opening statement and knowing what you've said, we know that you would, but it does give me hope that you still know in your heart that's wrong. So that's amazing. So the woman with the medical background, the so-called expert in the room. She could not even give you a straight answer. The woman couldn't even say what viability actually was. I think most of us who have just been pregnant know that viability, at least right now, is 24 weeks, and that's getting earlier and earlier because technology medicine has advanced. There are babies as young as 21 weeks who are born and survive and thrive. There are babies as young as 19 weeks, I believe, who are operated on inside the womb because they have spina bifida. I mean, it's insane. It's insane, right? That they just don't acknowledge at all the humanity of life inside the womb. That's all we're asking is acknowledge the scientific reality that this is a human being. And because it's a human being, explain to me logically and morally why this human being doesn't have rights. Is it based on the location? Inside the womb, is it based on size? Is it based on age? Is it based on the fact that it can't defend itself? 
bingo, that's what it is. This baby can't defend itself. And because of that, it is easily discarded and placed on the altar of convenience. It is placed on the altar of the God of self. And that is evil. That is wicked. For any, especially so-called Christian, to support this, ooh, baby, I would check your heart. Check it. And I'll pray for you. And I will pray for all of you out there too, whether you're a Christian or not, who thinks that there is any moral logical reason to any of this. I want to play you another clip by Congressman Chip Roy. He is from Texas, and he tells uh, what I thought was a very compelling story. In 2015, I got a call from a young woman who is one of my dearest friends. She's like a little sister to me. She said that the baby that was in her belly, her third, might be missing part of his brain, the part that connects the left and right hemispheres. She was terrified and couldn't ask questions fast enough. She had a monthly checkup with her OBGYN the following week. Her husband had to work, but she took her two boys with her. They liked going to hear the baby's heartbeat, and the checkups were usually routine and quick. She went into the appointment expecting her doctor would reassure her, and her answer reviewed the file. Then the doctor looked our friend straight in the eye and asked her if she wanted to terminate the pregnancy. She called us right after that appointment, understandably angry and terrified. Terminate? What? She explained that the doctor had asked her the question in the same tone she might have used when ordering coffee at Starbucks. She didn't blink an eye. She asked it in front of her two little boys. She asked without her husband there. She offered no explanation or comfort. It was cold. The doctor told her she had to decide quickly because she was approaching 22 weeks, which is as long as you can legally wait to have an abortion in Virginia. Our friend's response was such a source of pride for us. She told us she almost laughed and then politely responded that termination was not an option. She walked out of that doctor's office and never returned. So how did it all turn out? Her ultrasound was completely normal at 24 weeks. They just couldn't get a good read at her 20-week appointment. Her baby was born in May of 2015 and is completely healthy. It was a boy, by the way. None of us, but particularly his loving and courageous mother, can imagine life without him. He is my godson. So that is so true, which actually, it doesn't discount, but it discredits the argument that we heard from the first witness about her own story. Uh, There was a first witness who talked about aborting her child who was told would be born with a fetal anomaly. And while I have compassion for that, I still don't think that fetal anomalies are solved by killing a child. Do we do that when a baby is born with an anomaly that we didn't know that wasn't diagnosed in the womb? After the child is born, do we say, you know what, this child's going to suffer too much. Let's just kill the child. So logically, again, morally, scientifically even, it just doesn't make any sense. So as he pointed out, so often uh, these diagnoses are wrong, first of all, and so you're making a permanent decision on a possibly fallible diagnosis. And two, even if it's right, like I said, it is not solved, it is not healed. Neither the mother nor the child are healed by killing the child. There are just not very many problems. There are no problems (laughs) that are solved, uh, I would say, by killing an unborn child. I think that we can, on the pro-life side, agree with that, unfortunately. Unfortunately, on the left, that's a bit of a point of contention. I don't know if you guys noticed, whenever I was speaking, the women behind me who were rolling their eyes, laughing, snickering, whenever I would talk about the 
the procedure of what happens. And I will say, I correct myself. I said that the dismemberment abortion is a DNC abortion. That's not a DNC abortion. DNC abortions happen a little bit earlier when uh, the baby is still small enough to be sucked into a tube. But when the baby is a little bit bigger and the body can't fit into a tube, then you have to have a DNE, which is a dilation and extraction, uh, dilation and extraction abortion, where you actually have to tear the baby apart limb by limb to be able to fit it through the cervix and the birth canal. So that's lovely. So I did make a mistake. I said the wrong letter. It is a D&E abortion, the one that I described. But whenever I would describe it, the there was a, a lady behind me who would laugh. And I personally think that that's, I'm trying to be optimistic. I think it's a defense mechanism in that I think that she is uncomfortable with the reality of what she's supporting and she doesn't know what to do. It's like, you know, when you don't know what to say to something. So you do like an awkward laugh. Uh, I think that she, I don't think any of them back there had reckoned with what they are actually supporting scientifically. But, you know, all of everything that I said, that was all verifiable, by the way, by fact, you can go to even a pro-abortion website. And even though they might not say the word baby, they will say the word fetal tissue or pregnancy remains. That's what the doctor called it. And I did end up calling her out on that. Pregnancy pregnancy remains. They will tell you what an abortion is and, and what it actually does. So all of the things that I said were verifiable. But Debbie Wasserman Schultz, if you pay attention to the news, you know she's gotten, it, she's gotten herself into all kinds of shenanigans in her career. And it's really amazing that she's still in Congress. So I, the chairwoman announces that I have to leave because I have to get on a flight, which is true. And I really wish that I hadn't had to do that. I really wanted to stay there. There was, again, so much that I wanted to say and so many records to correct. But I really had to get on a flight. And I, I'm glad that I did because I didn't want to get home any later than I had to. But Seconds before I'm about to leave, after it's already been announced that I have to leave, Debbie Wasserman Schultz comes in and she uh, she says this. Madam Chair, I, I have a question of you. And in fairness, I'd, I'd like Ms. Stuckey to, to hear my uh, question because I wouldn't want to, it, I wouldn't want there to be any assumption that I was saying it as she was no longer in the room. Um, I just want to clarify that Ms. Stuckey is here expressing her own exp opinion exclusively and has no scientific or particular expertise in this subject matter whatsoever. Is that accurate? No, I, I wanted to ask you from what your knowledge of her experience is in the description of the witness's experience. That, that's, that's my understanding. Thank you. I just wanted to clarify uh, that, that particular fact. Um, but I, I think the witness should answer in all fairness as she's here. Mm -hmm. I think it says something when I, the one without the scientific or medical background, am the only one to give you uh, to, uh, specifics reclaiming on what, my, in, reclaiming what my an abortion time. procedure question, actually is. Reclaiming my time, Ms. Ducky, my question was not, as of, not of you, and you have essentially acknowledged that you're here expressing your own opinion. Uh, which we appreciate. So I did get the opportunity, thanks to the chairwoman, to respond to her. And even though I did stumble over my words, that was a very unfortunate time to stutter. <laughs> but uh, it's true. I mean, I, I was the only one on the panel willing to talk about what an abortion is. I don't have a medical background. Guess what? You don't have to have a medical background. And if you watch the hearing, you'll notice that the doctor never corrected me. 
The doctor never said, no, that's not what happens. That's, that's not what happens in an abortion and you're speaking unscientifically. You're not speaking medically. Here's what actually happens. If I were lying, don't you think the doctor in the room would have said, no, that's not what happens. We sprinkle magic fairy dust and the baby just goes away into fairy heaven. Don't you think that she maybe would have explained that? But no, she knows exactly what goes on in abortion. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you some shady stuff. Some shady stuff's been going on at her Planned Parenthood. Actually, we already know that. We already know that a woman suffered from a botched abortion at the Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. That's already been uncovered by the health department. So she's got some sketchy stuff going on. The last thing that she wants to do is to draw attention to the fact that she is violently killing an unborn child. And as she revealed to uh, Mr. Massey, she would be willing to do that really at any time. Okay, I want to show you one more I think, exchange, uh, and that is between me and Congressman Heiss. Ms. Stuckey, there have been a lot of medical advances, certainly over the last several decades. Uh, can you tell us about some uh, specific scientific evidence supporting the personhood, the humanity of the baby and the viability? Well, embryology tells us, thank you for your question, first of all, embryology tells us that uh, the the child from the moment of conception has a separate DNA, and so when we hear these euphemisms thrown around, like my body, my choice, immediately obscuring the life of the child, it shows me that the pro-abortion argument doesn't deal with fact, it deals with feeling, which is exactly why we've had such a hard time getting any kind of clear answer from uh, any of the panelists of what abortion actually is, what does it do, um, because talking about uh, tearing a child apart limb by limb with forceps just isn't a very good PR strategy for Planned Parenthood or the abortion industry. All I'm trying to do is to remind us when we're having this conversation that there are two people. There are two people. And I don't believe that we have to pit a mother against her child in order for a woman to be successful. We talked about, you know, legislative solutions and showing compassion for children after they're born. I absolutely believe in that. Every pro life pregnancy center that I've ever been a part of, that I've ever donated to, they don't just counsel women. They also offering parenting classes. They are also offering help from abusive situations. They are offering programs for these young women to be able to get uh, affordable baby clothes and baby products and things like that. And so every pro-life organization I know cares about children in the womb after they're born and the mother who is pregnant with these children. That is what I am trying to argue, that let's not ignore the science scientific reality that a baby is a baby and therefore, in my opinion, is deserving of the right to life. Okay, so I know I went out of order because I showed the one where I was about to leave and then I showed this one, but uh, I had forgotten that I wanted to do that. So I just, I appreciate, I so appreciate all of the congressmen. I mean, Democrat and Republican, uh, but especially the Republicans who asked me questions and allowed me, gave me the opportunity to talk about this. I also talked to Congresswoman Miller and to Congresswoman Fox. I don't want to play every single clip, but they are strong, wonderful, amazing women who stand up for life. And I'm so thankful for them. Both of them are champions and I just really appreciate them a lot. Congresswoman Fox is awesome. Like if you haven't seen any videos of her talking, she's got the best little Southern accent and she is so strong and so blunt. Like she just says exactly what it is. And she brought up first uh, Governor Northam's comments about leaving a baby who survives an abortion off to the side to die by itself, which I'm so glad that she brought up and I brought it up as well in my testimony. But 
We just need to keep on uh, on emphasizing that over and over again. So I walked away from this whole hearing very, I was defeated in, in a lot of ways, realizing that in the halls of Congress, there is not one, there's not one person on the Democratic side that I exchanged with that can even see, at least they are, they're not admitting to be able to see the absolute illogic and immorality and brutality of abortion, and that their minds are so bogged down with ignorance and are so convoluted that they can't, that they can't even form any kind of even pretend coherent arguments because it just doesn't make sense. And so if you're on this side, ask yourself why. It's a simple question. This is what I always tell people when they ask me, oh, what should I say to my liberal friend who believes this? Ask them why. Why do you believe that? Okay, why, why this? Keep going with why. Ask why without sounding badgering as many times as you can to see how they are able to justify it. All of the women in there who were, they were snapping behind my back whenever one of the pro-abortion people said something that didn't make any sense, but maybe sounded good, who were literally hissing and laughing behind me. I could hear their the noises that they were making. Um, they are so, so brainwashed. They're so brainwashed with ignorance. And it's cruel, honestly, but I am praying praying specifically for the girl who rolled her eyes behind me the whole time. But I am just praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And I, the reason why it's worth it to me, for me or for anyone else, to speak about this, even when we are going to get shouted down and interrupted and condescended and invalidated and laughed at, is because of the messages that I receive, not from people in Congress, not from people who work at Planned Parenthood, but you, the, the mom the college student, the young woman who is just trying to figure out her worldview and you were pro-abortion by or pro-choice, maybe you thought you were pro-choice by default because that was just what women believe. Maybe you were someone who believed, you know, I'm personally pro-life, but I believe that women should have a choice. And those of you who have emailed me, messaged me, tweeted at me saying you changed my mind on this. Well, first of all, whether you're a Christian or not, that was the Holy Spirit. And I'm very thankful that this podcast can be used in that way. But I speak to you guys. I look at the camera for you guys. I get in front of Congress and in front of C-SPAN cameras for you guys. For those of you whose minds I know can be changed and whose hearts can be molded. I, I mean, I do care. Obviously, I want all the minds to be changed on abortion as possible. But if there's just one person who listened to the congressional testimony yesterday, whether it was what I said, what a congressperson said, and they start to wonder about the validity and the morality of their own side, that's totally worth it to me. I don't care how much I get shouted down. I don't care how much I get laughed. I don't care how much Debbie Wasserman Schultz thinks she owns me and then reclaims her time when I say something that she doesn't like. I don't care. It's all worth it. And what they don't realize is that there are millions and millions of women who the only reason why they think they're pro-choice is because they never thought about it. And then once you think about it just a little, the entire argument of being pro-choice completely falls apart. That's why none of the witnesses on the panel really had anything coherent to say. That's why every time I brought something up that was inconvenient about abortion, the Congress people reclaimed their time. They didn't want to recognize the truth about the whole thing. And let me just say one point about me being credible. No, I'm not a doctor. Like I said, I'm not a scientist. I'm not 
the head of a reproductive justice organization, thank God, literally praise, praise God that my mind isn't just insane, made insane by intersectionality. Um, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a doctor to know what abortion is, A, and to know that abortion is wrong. That's how they're going to invalidate you. Instead of contending with your verifiable points, they're just going to say, well, you don't have any expertise on this, so we don't have to listen to you. That's a really easy, lazy, ad hominem way of not having to contend with anything that you say. Okay, let's think about that. If a botanist tells you that a flower is made out of styrofoam, and a little kid tells you that a flower is not made out of styrofoam, like flowers in the grass. Do you have to believe the botanist just because the botanist said so? If an astrologist says, hey, did you know that stars in the sky are actually just really bright little kittens hanging there? Would you, do you have to believe him because he, he's an astrologist? Or would you believe the other person who's not an astrologist that says, uh, actually stars are not made out of little kittens? That is, uh, astrologist can be wrong. Even if they have a title, even if they have background, some things we just know. There are things that are knowable without a medical degree. And what I have learned being in this career and knowing politicians uh, on the left side of the aisle and knowing advocates for issues that don't make any sense, you can be really educated and stupid. You can be really smart and wrong. So remember that. Don't let them try to invalidate you simply because you don't have the credentials that they think that you need to have. Because the reality is, even if you told them, look, I've been an OBGYN for 50 years and abortion is the killing of an unborn child and the child can feel pain, whatever you want, they're not going to listen to you. Do you think if I had a medical degree and had been in medicine for 10 years and I told Debbie Wasserman Schultz what an abortion is, do you think that would have changed her mind? Do you think she would have been like, oh, okay, well, now I'm pro-life. Thank you. No, of course not. Of course not. So I did come away a little bit discouraged just about how little they know. And it struck me that they're never, ever made to defend their position at all. The media just consistently covers for them, which is why they are so bad at this. And let me, But let me tell you why, even though they are just, it, I, I was very depressed by how ignorant and immoral their arguments were, but I was very proud of the Republicans in the committee and how the committee hearing actually went because Democrats called this meeting. They called this committee hearing and they said, we want to talk about the radical Missouri legislation. And they ended up for most of the hearing, not all, but for most of the hearing, they were on the defense the whole time. They were the ones having to defend their position. They were the ones having to defend Planned Parenthood. They were the ones having to defend abortion, which is exactly how it should be. We shouldn't have to defend anything, honestly. We have the moral position. We have the mainstream position. We have the logical position. Ours is normal. We have a normal position that, okay, humanity, we know scientifically, starts at conception. And so there's no reason that I can think of, any logical reason, that a human being shouldn't have human rights, that's normal, logical. You have to do all kinds of mental and moral gymnastics to say why a life once in the womb has human rights, but outside of the womb doesn't. What happened in the birth canal? Was it some magical thing that happened? Does the fetus fairy grant human rights? That's when I say the pro-abortion argument is on feelings. And of course, we know that they, even a baby who survives an abortion to them doesn't have rights. So what is it? 
when, when, when do humans get human rights? If not at the moment of conception, it becomes very arbitrary. That's why they uh, function off of deceit, off of deceit in uh, painting themselves as uh, empowering and knowledgeable when really they just have no, no argument, no argument whatsoever. Um, but Republicans did a really, really great job. And I was very thankful to be there as angry as it makes me, as frustrated as it makes me, as much as I hate being accused of things that I didn't say or didn't do or mischaracterized or gaslit. I am thankful. I'm so thankful for the opportunity. Uh, glory be to God alone for any truth that was shared from me or the other uh, Republican Congress people. And may this help. May this help the cause of life. That that is what I. That's what I hope. I'm I'm so grateful for the opportunity that God allowed me to do that, and um, I hope that it motivates some of you and emboldens some of you to speak out about this. Talk to your friends about it. Talk about it on social media. Uh, volunteer at your local pro-life center, your local crisis pregnancy center that doesn't perform abortions. Obviously, donate to them. Um, Ask your church. This is what I'm, well, I'm kind of in the process of doing, but to be perfectly honest, I'll just be honest with you guys, I've kind of dropped the ball a little bit over the past few months since I had a baby. But see if your uh, your church has a ministry to women who are in crisis, to pregnant women. See if there's something that you can get involved in or see if there's something that you can start. That is my hope um, on my end of things. And see how you can get involved. Of course, push for legislation. Uh, you can call your congressperson. You can get to know your local officials. You can get to know your state officials and see what's going on. Make sure that you know what's going on as far as local or state legislation. That's also something that I'm trying to get better at. Sometimes I focus way too much on national policy. I would say most of the time I do in national issues rather than what's going on right here. But becoming a mom has has changed that. I've really tried to say, okay, what's going on right around me that I can have a direct effect on? That's the quest or that's the thing that we all need to be doing. Pray, pray your hearts out. Uh, whenever I am just struck by the surreal reality that uh, we are debating whether or not it's okay to kill a child, I just have to pray. Pray. Jesus changes hearts. He changes minds. And when people become a Christian and they look back to see the leftist nonsense that they believed, especially when it comes to abortion. Um, it's really, it's just amazing to see that transformation. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what the Lord can do that we cannot and that he chooses to use us. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. I will see you guys back here on Wednesday. 